Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back to the program again this week, and thank you for joining us. I trust you are enjoying the series that we are sharing from the book of Romans. Uh, it's just almost inexhaustible. I'm just having a blast sharing it with you, and I trust you're enjoying it. So, you know, if you're enjoying it, let me just ask you to do this. Why don't you shoot us an in- email at info at and just let us know that you're watching so we can know, uh, you know, that we, we, we folks are being blessed by what we're sharing. Uh, we're, we're talking about the book of Romans, and uh, we are in chapter 7. This will be the third segment that we have uh, that we have filmed on Romans the seventh chapter, and I'm just loving this. I'm just to me, it's just like uh, uh, so refreshing to kind of be able to break this book down, not just uh, you know um, in spots, but chapter by chapter, because once again, the book of Romans is a letter that was written by Paul, and a letter is meant to be read all in one setting. If you got a letter from me. You don't read like a paragraph this week and then come back a month later and read a paragraph or uh, go and read just one line. You, you read it in context because he's laying out this probably one of the most incredible, clear uh, treaties of new covenant truth of anybody else in the Bible. He's really showing you what happened even in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and literally the dawning and birthing of God's new creation project into the earth. Now, uh, I don't want to go back and review too awful much, but we will just kind of begin by saying that in Romans 5, the apostle begins again to deal with uh, how that, uh, here, uh, the Message Bible says it like this, here it is in a nutshell. One man did it wrong and got us in all this trouble with sin and death, and another man did it right and got us out of it. One man said no to God, and uh, you know, uh, and another man said yes to God. In other words, but he said more than just get us out of trouble, he got us into a life. But he really draws the the message of redemption not just back to Moses, but clear back to the first man that Adam conveyed sin on the entire human family. It is a one man plan, and so because of one man's sin, death reigned from Adam to Moses even unto those who did not sin after the similitude of Adam. But just as that one man, Adam, did it, another man comes on the scene and brings us back into reconciliation, back into righteousness, and through the death of that one man puts us back on an equal playing ground where we've been made righteous by by the death of Jesus. Then he comes down and starts to deal with, in Romans 6, how that when we were baptized, it was a decisive end to that sin-miserable life, and that that water baptism was a picture of the death of our old man, and the, the coming up out of the water was a picture of the resurrection of Christ. And so, or if you will, uh, if you read it in the Message Bible, it says we, we, we have entered in a new life and a new land. In other words, we leave the old country where sin was sovereign, and we enter into our new grace-filled land. Read it in the Message Bible. It's very powerful. 
And so then he comes into chapter 7, and we're going to pick up here again because I want to just kind of say a few more things about the first part of Romans 7 before we move on down. It says, Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, how that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is freed or she's released from the law of her husband. So that if while her husband lives, she's married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she has been married to, uh, though she has married another man. Wherefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law, dead to the law, by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of spirit, and not in the oldness of the letter. Now let me just unpack this again. We've dealt with this for uh, two, uh, two segments prior to this, but I want to kind of pick up a few more pieces to this. Once again, the, the, the second husband in this story is none other than the one who was raised from the dead. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the new husband. If you missed last week's segment, please go watch it on YouTube or listen to our podcast or the RSS feed. That's all easy to access through our website or by just going to uh, those outlets and watching and listening. But I shared last week, uh, you know, uh, about that we're not going to get married to him. We are already married to him. If he's the second husband in this story, then Jesus must know something about the death of our first husband, or he would never marry us. And if he does marry us, knowing that our old man is still alive, then he's an adulteress and so are we. That's the point here. He's not dealing with divorce and remarriage in this chapter. He's dealing in the natural so much as he is, he's talking about what would happen under the law. But he's trying to show you a parallel that this second husband in the story is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if He's going to marry you, He must know that your old man is dead. But if you don't read the context of this, you're not going to understand how he got dead, because you read Romans 5 and Romans 6, it shows you that you were crucified with Christ. You are not dying. You're dead to sin and alive to God. Now, that, that's, I mean, the, your old man is crucified with Christ. Now, let me kind of unpack this just a little bit, because here's the question that happens. Well, if my old man is dead, then why am I still acting like this? And my response to that is, yeah, why are you? <laughs> why are you still acting like that? It's because you still have some motions of sin that are alive in your members. Not necessarily your nature, but your members. And this thing right here, your tongue is one of the most unruly members. And as I read through this just a few moments ago, it says that if the husband is alive, you are bound by the law to your husband. But if the husband dies, she's released, watch this, from the law of her husband. 
So here's the explanation to why I think Christians still sometimes sin. Number one is because it's the memory of the old man. And because when the, when the commandment comes, sin revives and you die. It's like this. You know, I had a, an aunt one time uh, whose, whose husband, I wouldn't say this if she were still alive, but her husband was killed in an automobile accident, a tragic accident. And I remember when they went to tell her that he was killed in a tragic accident, that she said, I don't believe it. And for a long time, she left his boots where he left them. She left his clothes how he'd left them. Never touched anything in the house. He left it exactly like he left it. But see, and, 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 and so, as you know, in other words, there's a lot of stuff that still lays around in our house that's the clutter from an old relationship. But see, as long as she could not reckon, that's the key word here, reckon is a, a accounting term. If you can't reckon that the old man is dead, you will never allow yourself to be married to another. Now, let me say it like this. Now, my, my wife probably will hate it that I say this, but my wife is compulsively neat. My wife is just immaculate when it comes to her house and, and order. She just, is a, she just has a gift and all that. And I appreciate it, actually. But what I'm saying is simply this. When, I first, when we first met, I am the almost opposite. I was almost compulsively sloppy and kind of unorganized. So I thank the Lord that He puts people in our lives that's a piece that we need. But here's the thing is that, you know, and, and you know, uh, she, you know, th there's not clothes laying all over our floor. They're not draped somewhere. We put them in the hamper or whatever. When, once you learn some of these principles, you realize it's not that difficult just to do a few things. It saves you a lot of problems later on, but becomes overwhelming. But because I travel, a lot of times I will travel by myself. When I am in a hotel room, I don't have to hang my clothes up. I could throw them on the floor if I want. I don't have to wipe the sink off. I could just leave it a mess and I, or, or whatever. And, uh, you know, and so, you know, uh, but I don't. And the reason I don't do that is because the law of my wife is present. You say, what do you mean by that? I don't mean she's standing there with the sticks, and if you don't clean up after yourself, you're in really trouble. No, but because I've lived out a relationship with her, and I find out what's pleasing to her, I started to realize it's not that difficult to throw your clothes in the hamper or to hang them back up uh, before you, you know, uh, it's just easier to do that. And once you kind of get in those patterns and habits, what may have not been, un, what may have been unnatural to you in the beginning now becomes natural, or can I say it like this, natural. It's like you get in patterns of, you know, I have certain patterns in the morning. I get up, I drink a cup of coffee, I check my emails, I do a few things, then I get in the shower, then I brush my teeth, and it's like, okay, these are things that you just do that become almost and sometimes I go through the, the even the rituals of getting ready in the morning and don't even remember having done it, not because I'm getting losing my mind, but because I just do it out of, it's just natural to me. And it gets to be where the stuff that was not natural to you before now becomes natural because now it is your new nature. It is not your nature to sin anymore. And so the patterns that we've learned uh, from this old creation man uh, then seem to be still hanging around. So what we do is, see, if you were married to 
you know, let, let's say, again, since my aunt passed away, that I don't necessarily have to worry about her being offended. But let's say that my, my aunt then uh, finally decides, okay, my first husband has died. He's not coming back. I'm going to have to get rid of his stuff. And she begins to clean house. I think that's the natural progression of what's happening as we start to realize I'm not in Adam anymore. I'm not bound to that sin miserable life. It's time to clean house. And so I start to throw out some of his stuff. Maybe at first, some of his stuff is hard to let go of. Some may, maybe is good memorabilia. And I want to hold on to it. Or habits that I've learned from that first husband are still like, you know, habits that I have around. All right. Those seem to be a progression and we're moving on. But let's say then you marry, a, uh, you, you find another husband. Now you finally found closure to that. I think that's what water baptism is for. That's what, I think that's what funerals are for, is to help us to get closure, uh, to, not, not because we like to look at dead people, but because it gives us closure to that segment of our lives. And so once you finally walk through that period of grief, perhaps you marry someone else, you get married to someone else. And this new husband has different patterns, different nature, different, and you start, and, and, and this husband says to you, honey, why, why do you do this? Or why do you do that? And you say, oh, my first husband taught me. Well, you know, that's probably not going to go over very big. Your marriage is probably going to be a little bit rocky right there when you start saying, well, I learned that from my first spouse. If you start bringing the baggage of a former marriage into a second marriage, you're probably going to have some problems. But what he's dealing with here in this text is letting you realize that the law of your husband, that's what it says, she's bound by the law to her husband, but if the husband dies, she's least from the law of her husband. So we have been set free from the law of her husband, and although he's dead, there are still motions, hear that, motions of sin that are alive in our members. And I really think that what you find is, if you've ever been, you know, for those folks who have listened to us for a long time, or you've been around grace preaching, the moment you start to realize you're free, you start to test the waters of freedom many times. And you go back and you try some stuff that you, you know, kind of quit doing before, mainly because you had to, or you were afraid God was going to be angry, or you were going to go to hell for it, or what, whatever the case might be. And you decide, well, I'm free. God ain't mad with me. And you go back and you try some of that. And then you realize, wait a minute, that's not as fun as I remember it to be. I think I'm probably really speaking to somebody. You say, well, that's not like I didn't, it's not like, I, it's not fun like it used to be. The reason it's no longer fun is because it's not your nature to sin anymore. And the thing that happens that begins to transform our lives is that when we realize, okay, we're married to another. Now it is legal. See, the new covenant is your marriage certificate. I say it like this. The reason the church world won't become intimate with him is because they don't think they're married, so they're flirting and they're, they're just, you know, dating. Again, I could take you back to the Song of Solomon and show you, like I did last week, that the king becomes interested in this Shulamite woman. By the way, the word Shulamite, it's the Shulamite in the Song of Solomon. The word Shulamite is the female name Solomon. You have the same name as he does. <laughs> I think that's incredible. And so the Shulamite woman is, you know, she thinks that she's not worthy, but he tells her, you're all fair, my love, my dove. 
There is no spot in thee. And then he takes her in chapter number one for a walk in the garden. She shows him and she, it takes her breath away. She sees the, the garden. And then in chapter two, watch this. He takes her to the banqueting house and stays her with flagons of wine. And he begins to bring her gifts. I like to think of it like this. When I first met Jesus, we went for a walk in the garden. And he was, you know, the, the romance was beginning to bud. But in chapter 2, he's going to wine and dine her. He brings her to the banqueting house. He shows up on her porch with a box of chocolate-covered prophecies, if I could say it like this. He brings her gifts. He wines and dines her. He's, he, the courting relationship is there in chapter 2. And so, but the Lord asked me this question back some time ago. He said, are you satisfied with my presence, as in gifts, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, or are you interested in my presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, as in me moving in? See, a lot of people are satisfied to flirt. They're satisfied with the whining and dining. That's, that's, that's a powerful picture of Pentecost, if you read Song of Solomon chapter 2. But in chapter 3 of the Song of Solomon, he brings her to the bedchamber, and it takes her breath away, and she says, Behold, our bed is green. And so he's looking for the place of intimacy. Now let me just say this to you. If the bed was green, that symbol, that place of, of green, that is a symbol of the new covenant. Say, how do you get that? Because Revelation chapter number 4 says, And I saw a door opened in heaven, and one sat upon the throne, and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow. Rainbow is a symbol of a covenant. Remember Noah. It was a symbol of a covenant. And there was a rainbow around about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. So the emerald is green. So when he's talking about bringing her into the bedchamber, he's also talking about bringing her into the new covenant consummation where he can bring forth fruit unto God. So he's talking about moving from his presence as in gifts to his presence as in the indwelling marriage relationship and the, uh, and, and the, and the marriage consummation that happens in the new covenant. Hallelujah. And then, you know, I can't help but think about, even as I think about that, that the, our bed is green, that it's a place of covenant, a place of reproduction, a place of fruitfulness, a place of uh, where the new covenant is consummated. I can't help but think also that, you know, uh, from God's viewpoint, we are spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. These Greek words are never interchanged. A spirit is pneuma, so is suke, and I think it is body is soma. Those Greek words are never, we, we, we confuse them in the King James Bible many times, but the word soul is a gender term of feminine. You are, uh, you see, your body determines your gender physically, but in us, let me say it like this David said, David said, My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. So your soul is feminine, it is the her, it is the place where you receive seed. It goes from concept to conception, unless you're practicing safe church. 
But when you come into and when you the, the seed, word of God is sown, let me say it like this: When the Spirit of Him who raised Christ, when the Spirit of Christ begins to join, when your spirit begins to influence your soul, let me say it like this: Paul said, "Let the woman keep silent." in the religious assembly, and if she needs to know anything, let her ask her husband who is at home. Now, I, I could get into all the cultural stuff about that, but let me just say it like this. Let's consider the possibility that he may not just be talking about a man and wife sitting in church, but he said, if your soul, Greek word is suke. I always tell it when I preach, I say, tell your neighbor, my name is Sue, how do you do? My middle name is K. So suke is married to pneuma, spirit. So your soul and your spirit begin to come together. When your soul starts to get what's in your spirit, there starts to be an adoption to wit, the redemption of your body. And so as you start to receive from the spirit and not from the flesh, in other words, if you're receiving from the flesh, you're receiving this adulterous relationship. But when your soul stops receiving its information, and if you need to know anything, listen, if Suke needs to know anything, she needs to keep silent in the religious assembly. And if she needs to know anything, she can ask her husband, Jesus Christ, who is at home. And when we start to ask him who is at home in us, then he starts to be the influence in our life and we receive from him. And then it's like even giving an offerings or being led by the Spirit. It's when you start to receive information in your soul, your woman, this thing between your ears, your suke, your soul, your psyche is the Greek word uh, translated into our English word. Suke is the, uh, is the English word psyche, psychology, psychotic. All of that are words we derive from that. But it really is talking about what is your source of speaking into that. Well, I'm going to ask my husband who is at home. Maybe it's not just talking about it. And we could get into all kinds of cultural things because back in those days they sat on one side and men sat on the other. And so there was cultural differences. And he's talking about not that women can't preach. He's just talking about don't holler across the room. If you want to ask your husband something, ask him later. But see, I want to show you the spiritual side of this is that we become like Eve. We are beguiled from the simplicity that's in Christ between our ears. And so when I see the soul also as being a type of the woman, who is being brought into this green room, this green bedroom, this place of rest. When I think about my soul coming to rest, when I think about my mind being stayed on Him, perfect peace have they whose mind is stayed on Him. When I talk about I'm being transformed by the renewing of my mind, when I talk about receiving seed from the Spirit into the womb of my soul, then my soul and spirit begin to come and it brings forth fruit manifestation. I hope that's making sense to you. But when I think about that bed being green, I can't help but think about what David said in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. He's my pastor. I will lack for nothing. I shall not want. He makes me, watch this, lie down in green pastures. Why does He make you lie down in green pastures? To restore your soul, your suke to bring you back to your right mind, to right thinking, to right new covenant mentalities and thinking. Because what happens is, is when we let this woman have a fling with the flesh and we start pouring into this, see what you feed on is probably what you're going to reproduce. That's why we are transformed, not conformed, but transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can prove what is the good, acceptable, acceptable, 
and perfect will of God. And so even as we go back under the law sometimes, and this woman is joined back to an old covenant paradigm, the first thing that happens is is that we start to see what the rest of this text is dealing with. We start to see ourselves on a roller coaster of when I want to do good, evil is present with me, and what I want to do is not what I seem to perform. Because what he's saying there is that's not the plight of the Christian journey. He's saying that's the condition of a man under the law, is you're on this roller coaster ride of, I want to do good, but evil is present with me. And as you go into chapter 8 of Romans, he tells him, there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And he's talking about moving from living by law to living by Spirit, to living by the flesh and living governed by Holy Spirit. And make no mistake about it, see, it's not lawlessness. It's God writing His law on our hearts and our sins and iniquities remembering no more. But what He does is, is that out of relationship, we start to fall in love with Him. And then the stuff that's transformed in our lives, that we're changed, where we're really bringing forth, not fruit. I mean, we're bringing forth fruit. Not works of the flesh, but fruit is because we have found relationship with Him, and out of that relationship, there's an overflow. That's what I believe David meant when he said, uh, you know, He makes me lie down in green pastures to restore my soul. Because the end of your faith, receiving the end of your faith, is more than just a ticket to heaven. Receiving the end of your faith is even the salvation of your soul. Right thinking, and right believing will produce right living. And so the the, the work of the Spirit, we receive something in our new man, our new creation man, and our new spirit begins to be the very thing that there's an outflow that begins to influence how we think, what we do, uh, the fruit that we bear is not a work of the flesh, it's not a product of my own human strength, It is the outflow of the Spirit of God working inside of me to bring about the fruit of the Spirit. And so, you know, he tells him in verse 5 of this, For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law. In other words, it's kind of like the forbidden fruit principle. We're at work in our members to bear fruit unto death, but now we have been delivered. I love it. Now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by so that we should serve in the newness of spirit, and not in the oldness of the letter. I trust you've enjoyed this segment again. And let me just say again, all of our material is on YouTube. If you'd like to go back and review it, there's a simple link on my website to our YouTube channel, to our podcast, and to an RSS feed for your Android device. If you would like to sow a seed into the ministry to help us, and you're feeding from our ministry, there's an easy way to do it. You can scan the QR code that'll come on the TV, or you can go to our website, and there is a place where you can give with your credit card or debit card via PayPal. You can give a one-time gift, or you can set up a monthly debit. We really need some partners, and we ask you to consider possibly doing that. If you'd like, you can also send a check or money order to the address that will come up on the screen, or you can call the phone number that will come on the screen, and someone will take your call. If no one takes your call, leave a message. We will call you back, and you can give that way via credit card and uh, someone will take your call. Thank you for joining us. God bless you until next week.
I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.